coming to you from the lab, where we talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Riding Shotgun is my co-host, Big Keith. I'm your host, Mike, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's everybody doing? Welcome to The Gun Experiment, Episode 5. This week, Keith and I talk to the Chief of Police, talk aim point optics, talon grips, and going on vacation. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Monday of every month, so be sure to subscribe. And as always, by my side, the big man, Big Keith in the house. Keith, how's it going tonight? It's going pretty well. You know, good, uh, nice weekend and uh, had a little bit of snow this morning here in New York and uh, odd for uh, April 18th, but what are you going to do? You know, it's uh, the new life we live, I guess, you know, snow in the middle of April. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, so uh, you still on the, was it rum and coke kick? Are you no, still doing I, that? I switched it up a little bit tonight. I went with a little vodka and pineapple juice. You know, I needed All to, right. thinking about vacation, I needed to get a little uh, something else in there. I like it. Preparing for the end of the show. I uh, got a little bit of a uh, small batch bourbon over here, and I'm uh, I'm enjoying that a little bit. So Is that uh, because, you know, Eric uh, from the, the other episode got you, you know, thinking about bourbon? It, it is, and besides that, I was drinking like some pretty girly drinks. So I said, "Let me kind of change it up and, uh, and get a nice." I, I did hear some rumors. There were there were some there were some comments <laughs> being made. So I have to say, uh, in the short time we've been doing this, we have had. Uh, I, I'm very fortunate. I feel like we have got some great guests, um, gun shop owners. We had an MMA fighter. Uh, we got to catch up with an old friend, and uh, but I'm very excited because tonight we have our first member of law enforcement on the show. And not only is it just any member of law enforcement, but we have the chief on the show. So our guest today is Chief Butch Amthor from the Montgomery, New York Police Department. Super excited to have him here. Butch, how are you doing today? Very good. Very good, guys. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Kind of give me another way to spend the evening, right? Instead of sitting around watching reruns of James Bond all night long. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, uh, so Butch, how did you get into law enforcement? Give me kind of your background here. Well, I, I started out, um, it's going to be almost 36 years ago, um, this August, when I went into the police academy in uh, August of 1984. Um, I uh, went through the academy, graduated uh, in January of 85, went on the uh, Orange County Sheriff's Department where I started out. Um, I worked in the, uh, the court county court system and uh, transportation unit that used to take the prisoners, sentence prisoners to all the different prisons throughout the state. So I've been as far up north as uh, Danamora and uh, Albion, and as far down south as Rikers Island. Uh, and uh, the old, uh, they called it the tombs back in the day. Uh, was, that was in the early 80s. Uh, so I got. To are all of those are all those prisons still open, Butch? Or are any of them? Uh... The tombs, to my understanding, and I, I certainly uh, anybody that's uh, NYPD active, former New York City Corrections, could could uh, say for sure. But I'm pretty sure that closed down a number a number of years ago. Uh, Rikers Island um, is supposedly set for some major changes, as I understand it. But uh, so I, I got some interesting experiences with that. Um, and, uh, and I, I also, uh, back then, uh, we only, if you can believe it, when I started in 1985, we made a little over $12,000 a year. Oh my and, God. Uh, wow. Yeah. 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 And, uh, um, 
we ended up, uh, all of us ha- uh, worked part time in other departments uh, until we got on to regular departments. So then uh, I went to the uh, city of Newburgh Police Department in 1987. I, uh, I worked part time in Cornwall for a short period of time. And uh, so that's, that's when I, uh, that's, that's the time I. What was the drive to make you to do that and get that crappy pay? No offense. Well, it was either that or go to work for uh, for Amthor Welding, which I, I didn't want to do. So <laughs> I had to get my start somewhere. So and that's your uh, family business, correct? That's, that's a family uh, my business. parents own that business. Yes, uh, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Keith is my cousin, and uh, so he knows his dad's worked there many, many, many years. Very faithful uh, member of the family, and uh, very loyal to my parents. And, yeah, both both my dad and my mom, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, exactly. I think they're over. I think they're. One of them might be 45 years yeah. there this year. That's like your that. mom. Definitely. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, uh, I took a lot of heat over it in the beginning. Uh, it's kind of funny because now you still people, do. What are you talking about? Well, I'll tell you, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> I think you know, most people would tell you, most people would tell you I made the right decision, but those back in those days, it, it, it was not, uh, uh, it was kind of interesting being a cop back at that time. Uh, a lot of my friends went into work in the unions, you know, those, those that did not go to college of course, uh, went to work at the unions and stuff. And I mean, guys were driving, you know, garbage trucks, making a lot more than, than I was at the time. And, uh, that's crazy to me. I didn't realize, you know, yeah. I, I've always known you as a police officer, right. My whole life. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were, I was five years old when you were in the Academy yeah. and, uh, I just did not realize that oh, yeah. the pay was that skewed back then. Oh yeah. When I, when I went to Newburgh in, uh, 2000, yeah, 1987, I still remember the salary was eighteen thousand six thirty six, wow. and uh, we we always we were like, "Wow, that's a good pay raise," you know. But <laughs> see, back <laughs> yeah. in, back in the day, you were always told that you know the civil servant uh, made less money than the private sector, but you had better benefits, and that right. was, that was always the selling point. And uh, so, but it was definitely the case back then. That's for sure. So you you've been in law enforcement for thirty five years, correct? Yeah, just over thirty five years. Yeah. yeah, so thirty, so a little over thirty five years, and uh, officers can retire typically after twenty years. So I mean, you've done your yeah. time and and then some. So you've sure. been doing this for a long time. So my yeah. first question is: uh, Is there anything like what's made you stay so long? Because a lot of guys would definitely get out for one reason or another. But I mean, you've, I mean, you've almost done two careers. You know? Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll tell you this: um, If I was not lucky enough to have the career that I had and had I not been elevated, uh, through the ranks to where I, um, I, I was promoted to detective at uh, 24 years old. So, wow. um, and, uh, I spent a long part of my career as a detective, um, a detective sergeant I investigated, uh, was involved in investigating about 52 homicides, um, during that time, uh, and I've had a lucky uh, career in a lot of ways. Uh, most of it's timing for me. Um, I'm not a good test taker. Uh, I never scored above an 82 on a promotional exam. It was just timing. Um, and uh, I will tell you that if I was on the street today, uh, if I was a uniformed police officer dealing with all the changes that uh, have happened, if I was still dealing with people on that level or either even a line supervisor, I would have probably left a number of years ago. Uh, sure. So I, I will tell you that, you know, being a police officer today is, is excruciatingly difficult, um, especially in the state of New York and it's not getting any better. Uh, I give a lot of 
a lot of kudos to these young men and women that even want to get into the to the job yeah, uh, not today. And uh, certainly, it's a sad commentary when you know policing, like the fire service and other calling jobs. I'll say, uh, you know, you had generations of families where the grandfathers, the fathers, the uncles, the cousins, everybody went on the job. Now you can got, you be. I, I'm sorry, Can you ahead. be a little more specific about some of those challenges that you think, you know? Well, well I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, absolutely. Um, the most serious, most recent uh, is this whole bail reform situation in the state of New York. And it's just an absolute disaster. Um, there will be tragedies. Um, it's, it's, you're already starting to see uh, things. Um, and the interesting thing, the people that are pro- uh, the, the criminal justice reform that they call changes um, are, are going to be the first ones to tout lower crime rates, less arrests, less incarcerations. And that's all going to be true. It's Manufactured. Be, well, it's because police officers are, are having their hands tied. And you're basically, to use a term that was told to me by an old chief of mine back in the uh, late 80s, uh, they, call it, they called it depolicing. Yeah. When, you, when you actually create an environment where uh, police officers start to look the other way. Well, it seems to be like an unsafe time for you, right? It seems to be like, you know, as a police officer, you know, people hear this bail reform and see people, you know, not going, you know, to, to, to jail for things that they normally would be. It, it seems like they, they're going to push the limits even more. And it's, it's putting, it's putting, uh, it's, it's putting, folks, civilians in, in harm's way. I mean, there's, I mean, I could go on for an entire three hours about this, uh, alone. Um, it's just, it's becoming, uh, it's a very difficult situation. Uh, it's an interesting dialogue where, uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, there was a big push for body cams and, uh, police agencies were being pushed in that direction, you know, for, towards body cams. There was this belief that police officers just routinely, screwed up and, 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 and cause people, you know, heartache and, and pain and stuff. And what they're finding now with these body cams is 99% of the time the officers do their job properly. Uh, and now what you're seeing is almost this, this commentary where people don't want to believe what they're seeing on camera. Yeah. I mean, I mean in light of, it doesn't fit the narrative. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, just and and that's recent, Butch. Right in our area, right in Newburgh. Uh, that's what that, I was that, I mean, just, you have a, there you have an incident in the city of Newburgh where so it's on body camera. It's in black and white. The district attorney, rightfully so, uh, released a certain footage uh, almost immediately. It still still resulted in mayhem and riot situation, but clearly the individual drew a gun. Uh, he was wanted for a shooting a day or two before. He was identified by people on the street, somebody on the street called and said he was walking down the street. The officers approached him and ended up in a, a, um, a tussle. And an officer was shot in the shoulder, uh, was, was pistol whipped, um, in the struggle and clearly in the guy's hand is a silver handgun. And then the uh, narrative that was being spread immediately following that was that they had cropped a gun in this young man's hand Oh my God. And this is what went out. And this went out on social media. It went out on the, um, I mean, just everywhere. And it resulted in, uh, uh, all out riot. Um, my, my department, the town of Montgomery responded under mutual aid. We had two cars seriously damaged from rocks and bottles. There were two state trooper cars totaled. 
Um, wow. they, they were lighting Jeez. cars on fire and uh, rolling burning tires down the street, uh, all because of a false narrative that was really proctored in the large part by a um, newly elected member of uh, the city council. Yeah. So if, if I could, if I could stay on this idea of body cams, but I want to take it in a little sure. bit of a different direction, if you don't mind. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I just had a conversation, uh, it, it was uh, through texting and, and social media kind of stuff, but I had a conversation with some friends and um, I have a little bit of a law enforcement background. I was a, a corrections officer for a couple of years and then I totally changed uh, careers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I might've made a mistake. And then there's days I talk to people like you and I'm like, eh, maybe not so much. Right. <laughs> when I was there, they were just starting to put cameras into like the shoes and the, the special housing units and, and whatnot. They were not wearing body cams at that point. Um, this is quite a few years ago. Sure. Um, so the conversation that I had today was regarding should officers be more more trained in uh, like a jujitsu or a way to like subdue um, people, and would that cut down on use of force issues? And the person that was that I was talking about this with was not um, anti law enforcement. They actually are in uh, they're in the military, sure. and. I, I've heard this before, this theory that like how a, an officer has to have 60 college credits typically to become an officer. Um, what about the idea of have to have a certain level of proficiency in something like jujitsu or, or something like that? And I see some problems with that. For instance, people selling belts, you know, to make profit and, and whatnot. But how do you feel about that? Do you feel that that sort of that ability to grapple and, and know that sort of skill set would help officers or do you think that it would cause problems? What, what is your take on that? I'm going to say that I believe that anything that the officer has at his disposal when he goes on the street, uh, and that includes his mental capacity to deal with uh, individuals who are agitated, maybe mentally ill. Um, that's something that officers are dealing with on a daily basis uh, is uh, um, requires a certain level of training on how to deal with and recognize mental illness and possibly be able to de- de-escalate that would be one. I, I look at the job as, a, as an empty toolbox. And I, and I always like to say, you know, you have this empty toolbox. And if you, if you said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a toolbox, you know, you pick the tools that you feel that you're going to use the most and you, you, you get to be proficient with your tools and you, you keep them in your toolbox. And I think officers, um, you know, uh, listen, a higher education is, is a good thing. Uh, absolutely. A higher education is very valued. Um, prior military experience is another skill set, is another tool if they have it. It doesn't mean that somebody can't be a police officer if they haven't served in the military or they can't be a police officer if they don't have a, uh, you know, a, a minimum of an associate's degree. Um, training police officers to understand the communities they police has always been a big thing of mine. Uh, you send officers to a police academy and it's in any town, whatever state you're in. Okay. Uh, you have police officers in an area academy from places like the city of Newburgh, the city of Middletown to the town of Cornwall, you know, to the town of Blooming Grove and uh, the Sullivan County Sheriff's Department. While the job is similar in many aspects I don't think there's enough follow-up uh, when the officers come back to their respective municipalities, especially when you're policing places that are high crime, high minority, understanding some of the understanding of where, where, why places are the way that they are. Okay. And I can, I can reference Newburgh because I spent a long part of my career there. 
Um, there's a lot of young people who go into that department. They really don't understand the community. Um, and I think that that's something that's lacking is, is further training when they return back to their respective departments, especially if you're going to police a community like a place like the city of Newburgh or the city of Yonkers or Mount Vernon or something like that. Um, physical fitness is something that you get a lot of it in the academy. Very few departments mandate anything after the academy as far as keeping physically fit. That can be detrimental. Uh, also, like what you're saying, as far as uh, you know, the ability. I, I actually set up just recently, and uh, we're doing some training, which I believe is going to be very effective, very similar to what you're describing, uh, with somebody local who is going to be training the officers in um, some over and above the basic uh, you know, uh, defensive tactics that you get in the Academy. I think, I think that it's a, you got to find a balance. Um, I know, I know great police officers that can tell you every holster. They can tell you, they can look at a cop from a half a mile away, tell you what kind of gun he's carrying tell you what kind of light he's got on his gun, what kind of handcuffs he has, but they, they can't remember what section of the penal law assault is. Um, yeah. and that's, and that's, it, that's not a balance. It's great to have, what do, you, what do you call that? Do you call that the classic tackleberry from police? Well, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, there's, listen, they're few and far between when I started, there was a lot of, a lot of guys like that. Uh, you know, most of them were, were part-time officers that worked in other jobs and, but that's changed a lot. The, the, the job has definitely got much more professional. I could tell you that at the time that I, I started when I was in 1884, we started out with 38 revolvers and belt loops and you couldn't wear speed loaders until you learned how to load from your belt loops. Um, you know, and, uh, it, the job has changed. And uh, yes, I do believe that there should be something like what lawyers have to do. Uh, I know in other States like Connecticut, it's like a continuing education where in order to maintain your police certification, you have to go to training on an annual basis, believe it or not, in the state of New York, after the police academy, the only mandatory training you are mandated to receive throughout your entire career in New York, of all places, is if you get promoted to the rank of supervisor, you have one year to go to supervisor school. Yeah. And that's I see. So in other states, in order to maintain your police certification, you would have to go, let's say, to an annual class on legal updates. Now, we do have those things, and they are set up, and they, they do take place. But we are not mandated by the state to do these things. I mean, so, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. So it sounds like what you're saying, and, and I agree with this. This is kind of where that conversation went earlier. What you're looking for, you want well-rounded. Well-rounded is, is ultimately wins the day, right? That's, exactly. that's the, the, the ultimate officer has a little bit of everything to, to make them a, an asset to the community. Correct. So another area that I feel is a major concern in this day and age, and I'm sure this is something that, you know, you're saying that the job is changing a bit. Um, and people are very concerned nowadays with mass shootings. It seems like, you know, the media focuses on these things. And uh, do you think that this is a new phenomena in terms of like we're seeing so many or are we more aware because of the social media and the technology? Um, and if it's a new phenomena, in your opinion, what caused that to occur? It, that that's that's a that's a deep question. I'll tell you, it's a good question, and and uh, 
I mean, I will just tell you that my wife is a registered nurse at Danbury Hospital. Um, my wife was working on duty the day of the Newtown shooting. Um, so, you know, that was uh, a very, you know, I, I mean, it was just a horrendous, horrendous day. If you remember, it happened just before Christmas. And yeah. uh, it was, uh, you know, just, a, I mean, we all think of these things. And I mean, that, that really hit home. Not that it was, you know, uh, any more tragic than anywhere else in the country, but it was just so close to home. Um, I, I wish I knew. I mean, I wish I knew. I, you know. I mean, um, they have been going on for quite some time, right? I mean, it's not even. I think the first, the first one that they, I mean, and I know it goes back way whack back back before this, but the one that they always kind of reference in modern times is the, uh, the Texas, uh, the, uh, I believe it was a Texas Columbine. No, Texas. Oh, uh, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Texas, former, A&M Texas was tech, that. Texas tech, Texas right? tech. Yeah, yeah. 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 There you go. Texas tech. The, uh, the, the former Marine who got up in the bell tower there, I believe yep. some type of right. So, I mean, in modern times, um, I mean, mass homicide, unfortunately, I think has been around for a very long time. <laughs> I mean, you think about things like mass homicide, you, you know, you go back historically to the beginning of time, right? Uh, yeah. I think that there's a lot of disturbed folks out there. Um, I think that it, it, they do seem to trend with uh, younger. Uh, there is certainly a profile. Uh, Definitely, yeah. You know, younger, white, male. Uh, yep. You know, usually... Uh, you know, not too popular in school and, and, uh, kind of seem to have this type of profile. Um, the, the, the random act, uh, uh you know, of just random killing, I think is what scares the hell out of people. But what's yeah. interesting is like you mentioned the profile and, and that profile, I mean, you know, it's, it's dead on for the most part, yeah. but what's interesting is that profile has existed forever. You know, there's always been that profile that, that, like you said, not too popular has some, has some, Mm-hmm. difficulties they these things weren't happening or or were they happening we just didn't know like you didn't know it was happening in california because it wasn't all over the social media i don't know the answer to that but it does seem like they're happening I, more and i don't I, know why that is i think i i think um that we are in some ways a more violent society. Some people would disagree with that and they would go back and reference the Romans and you could go way back in history and talk about the Armenian genocide and the Holocaust and all these horrific things in our, in our, in our history. But um, I think that as a modern day society, I think that the value placed upon another's life, another's property. uh, I think that a disregard uh, for you know, what your actions are going to do to harm other people. I think that in some respects, we seem to lose a little bit of that with every generation. I don't know what the cause of it is. I mean, people can argue the whole, you know, well, people don't go to church anymore. People, uh, people play too many video, kids play too many video games, you know? Uh, oh, well, then you can get into the hole if you want to start to, to be, blame it on, you know, firearms and stuff like that. That's a certain segment that tends to lean that way. But I just, I, I, I think that I don't think there's any clear answer. I think it's like a lot of things that we see, there's a lot of different things that come into play and then there are triggers. And I mean, you know, I, I, I hate to say that I don't think there's anybody that would ever say that they have never thought of hurting another person, but, uh, you know, we just don't act on it. <laughs> right. Yeah, you and know, I have to be honest, you know. I, I wasn't really expecting you to have the answer to this question, but I, I have to ask the question because sure. you know it, it's an interesting question. Yeah, no, and yeah. 
you have access. I, I also got to say, Chief, you got to be a, a history buff because you bring up the Armenians. There's, you're yeah. clearly a history guy. <laughs> I am, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> he's he's going to fill you in on that one later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, Butch, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm sure you were kind of expecting us to talk a little bit about, you know, the Second Amendment, right? And, sure. And, sure. Uh, um, you know, there's a lot of people that feel that um, that should be a privilege that people earn, uh, like a driver's license. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are others that uh, I, I'll, I'll put myself in that category, Mike. I know you're in that category that you know have a better understanding of the Constitution and the guarantees that it that uh, it provides. The Second Amendment provides to us as as Americans. Um, you know, what do you, what's your opinion on on the armed citizen, and and do you feel it's a right as as long as people are law abiding and responsible with with their firearms? Absolutely. I, I there uh, there's no doubt. I in my mind, I've never. Never changed my opinion. Uh, you know, Keith, I grew up around guns. Uh, my my grandfather was a collector. More, more guns than most people probably. Oh, well, yeah, I can tell you at the height of my grandfather's collection, he had, a, I still remember because I counted them, he had 146 uh, wow. rifles. He was never much of a handgun guy, um, but he collected mostly Winchester rifles. And uh, I shot every one of them that you could still get a box of ammo for. Uh, some of the old calibers they had stopped making ammo for. But uh, I spent a lot of time uh, growing up. Uh, I've spent time around guns from the, the past, as far back as I can remember. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly support the Second Amendment. Um, I, I do feel that there are some things that people do discuss that make sense. I talk about like mental illness. Um, yeah. You know, Agreed. Uh, we, we, we have had, you know, incidents where if it wasn't for, uh, you know, some really good, decent guys that uh, we had an incident uh, a while back where a man clearly, clearly mentally ill, we deal with him on an almost daily basis, uh, very threatening, very combative, uh, argumentative young man, uh, elderly man, and uh, he tried to purchase a shotgun at a local uh, sporting goods store, and his behavior was a bit unhinged. And it set the uh, the guy off uh, at the gun store. I believe he was a retired corrections officer, actually. And he wouldn't sell him the firearm, and he notified us. Uh, now, Good for him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, great, and, great job. And, and, and he had no – and listen, he had no legal obligation to do that, as you know. Uh, yeah. And, of course, it didn't and wouldn't prevent the man from maybe going to another place and buying a gun. But he did what he felt was right, you know, and and, uh, and we praised him for it. Uh but uh, as far as the average law-abiding citizen, I, I honestly would go so far as to say I don't see why anybody shouldn't have a firearm in their house for self-defense. And as long as they're trained on how to use it and they keep it safe and they, they keep it away from, you know, children's hands and, you know, whatever. Uh, I always tell people, I said, I think a shotgun should be – everybody should have a shotgun somewhere in there, hiding in their house somewhere, just like you have a shovel or you have a yeah. room or uh, – you know, it like, is a tool, right? It is yeah, a tool. Yeah, exactly. And as long Look, as you let's take it. be trained and, 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 and abide by the law and keep it safe and, and do the right thing, absolutely. Let's take it one step farther. What about the different restrictions across states to states? You know, I know you travel a lot. I know, you, you know you're in law enforcement, so I, you probably know some of the rules a little better than even Mike and I. Right. But what about, you know, New York gun laws versus pennsylvania or massachusetts or kentucky you know what i mean well i can only really i can speak to the contiguous states uh 
uh, I'm most familiar with. Uh, we, I mean, I'm sure you know Pennsylvania has, uh, you know, much more of a liberal uh, view and as far as their laws are concerned compared to New York. New Jersey uh, has some very strict uh, laws. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the hollow point bullet thing. That's which makes no sense. I was, yeah. I knew you were going to say that. It makes yeah. no sense to me. It makes it makes no sense, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not. But if you're familiar with the uh, round, uh, let's say a round such as uh, like the Hornady Critical Defense that has yep. polymer. Yep. Uh, okay. Yep. Well, that that that's legal in New Jersey. Uh, because it has the polymer in because it. Because that's right. Because it's not a, it's not just an open hollow point. You can look, you can look that up. I actually looked it up uh, recently because uh, that whole thing, that's a little, and, you know, you used to hear these rumors about, oh, you get a year for every hollow point bullet in New Jersey. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody who ever happened to it. I certainly never, never bothered to look into it. But I think that, I think that to me, you know, again, it just all depends on who's, I guess, running the government or who's, who's in charge. Should it be standardized? Should it be, you know, should we be able to go anywhere in the, in the great country of America and have the same rules? It almost would make a lot of sense. It would really make a lot of sense. I know I had a friend of mine who was a police officer in Florida, um, back in the late eighties during the cocaine wars and a lot of things were going on. And, uh, they were pleading at that time, these FOP groups and things down there were kind of trying to get, some of the laws changed because Florida had, you know, has, has pretty, some pretty what we would consider liberal uh, coming from New York and talking to the guy. And, you know, they were dealing with all these things going on in South Florida during that time with hom- homicides and shootings and different things. But you got to remember, Florida is still a southern state and, you know, the capital is in Tallahassee. So the folks up in Tallahassee were not really interested in changing the laws to appease, you know, Miami and Fort Lauderdale, let's say. Um, so, yeah, no, there's a tremendous amount of diversity even in our own state. I mean, uh, you you take the, you know, kind of the attitude toward firearms in the southern part of the state, and then you go upstate and, uh, you know, right within our own state, it's very diverse. Um, and I, it, listen, it almost does make sense. Uh, I think what the problem is, is the concern is, is that the states that have tend to have, comparatively speaking, more liberal gun laws than New York and let's say California, they're afraid, like a lot of things, that's, you know, that's why we have the Electoral College, right? Because if people don't want New York and California voting the president, um, I think those, those other states are concerned and would be concerned that if they were to open up that can of worms, it would be these more stringent states that would get get the upper hand and, you know, start taking away what people feel are their rights to have. So, so Butch, let's say that, so we know that you support the citizen, the average citizen having uh, a firearm. So let's say that someone goes out, they decide they want to exercise their right. They buy a firearm. They do all the things proper. They pass the next check. Now they have their first firearm as a, as a chief of police, as law enforcement, what do you recommend they take after they get their first, what steps they take after they get their firearm to ensure that they're the type of armed citizen that you want to support and defend? You know, like what, just a couple of things. Like what are some things that you think that they should do? I, I believe now, you know, separating the categories, I kind of, I kind of put, I, I put gun ownership in two categories, uh, long gun ownership and handgun ownership. Uh, 
I, I feel from what I know and my, my, listen, my wife went through it. My daughter went through it. Uh, my close friend's wife, another police chief, uh, wife went through it. I felt that they went through some very, uh, extensive training today, um, as far as what they were required to do, um, in talking to my wife and my daughter and her friend, uh, I thought that they, by the time they were done with all the things that they had to do and they actually went on their own, um, my, my wife and her friend, and they went and went back and got some additional training just to feel more confident. But I felt very uh, confident that they got trained uh, properly with the use of the handgun. Um, in order to did get they do training. NRA trainings or what? It was what all, all, yeah, of course it's, you know, it's the NRA certified training. Uh, there are various people who put it on, um, you know, and there's a whole contact list when you go for your permit application with the people that are authorized to give the training they have to provide of course their credentials to know that they're they're certified and legit um and uh and then of course you have long gun ownership which is a lot more liberal as you will as you know um it would probably uh not be a bad idea um to have something uh i think we just tend as a society still rely on you know listen i did it with my own son you know he gets to be a certain age you take them to the gun store, you, you, you pick out a 22 or you pick out a 410, you know, you start them off with a BB gun and you, you work your way up and you rely on. But I will tell you that my son also, uh, we made sure that he went to his local sportsman's club. And instead of having just me show him firearm yeah. safety, uh, he went and he spent uh, six, six, uh, six or seven Saturdays uh, going over, he was put on by a local sportsman club. Again, not a mandate, but I think that's a really good thing. I think those sportsman's clubs do great jobs with that. They're interested. They like having the young people there. It kind of, you know, excites them to have young people interested in it. And I, I, I think they do a great job, just the local sportsman's clubs. And I'd like to see that, um, certainly. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I, and I agree completely, you know. Um, so I do want to talk to you about a part of your career, and it's probably something that's a little difficult for you, but a couple of years ago, you responded to a call, and in the course of handling that call, you were actually shot in the line of duty. That's you rushed to the hospital, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I don't really want to talk about the day of it, sure. but what I am curious is in the immediate aftermath, after you know weeks, months go by, mm-hmm. and I clearly, I clearly have a good vibe of where you stand on the Second Amendment and, and and people having firearms. Sure. But after that happened, did yeah. you have any moment of like, uh, you know, maybe like feeling the opposite or did you, did that change the way you felt about things? No, not at all. Uh, because uh, like most, unfortunately, circumstances, uh, the individual who actually shot me, shot me with a illegal handgun. Uh, it was purchased uh the, a- the ATF um, is it kind of kind of just an interesting aside. I, this this was something when I worked in the um, drug task force many years ago. We had ATF agents assigned there, and um, ATF has a couple of different types of you know they have all special agents. You know, there's the guys that go out and go to the gun stores and check the licensing and things. They're, they they that's part of their job. But the ATF is a very aggressive, very professional. Um, agency. Uh, and I've worked with some really great agents with the ATF. Um, and they actually are able to take a, a handgun or a fi- rifle, any firearm, serial number, they can trace it back to the data manufacturer. 
they can trace it right on through to um, when it was sent from the factory. And I learned something several years ago. And again, I'm a little dated with this. So if there's an ATF out there agent that's going to listen to this, and <laughs> forgive me if I'm a little dated, but I will tell you that many years ago, um, I learned from an ATF agent that there's not a whole lot of major firearms distribution people out there, companies. So when a, a firearm is manufactured, it goes to one of maybe six or eight companies out there, major wholesalers. I remember one of them was called Davidson's. Okay. Uh, and, and, um, then from there, these, these local gun shops and sporting goods stores, they order the, 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 the firearms from there and they, then they, they stock them. So they were able to, to actually go back and, and the, 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 the gun that shot me was a, um, was a, a high point, which is very commonly used, uh, kind of a low cost, uh, very popular. Yeah, not the highest quality firearm. That's not for a, sure. not a, not a high quality firearm by any stretch of the imagination and, uh, a very inexpensive gun to buy. And then you can probably double your price. Cause I, you don't know how many times people have told me on the street, he had a Glock, he had a Glock and it's a high point. Um, <laughs> I would look at the Glock, but you know, they can sell it as a Glock, I guess. And, you know, and so, but it was a high point 45 caliber handgun. Uh, um, and it was purchased, uh, they, they, uh, there's something that they call a straw purchase where you take yeah. somebody with mm-hmm. a clean left record in some of these source states. Uh, and one of them was, this was actually came out of Georgia, uh, was purchased, uh, what they call straw purchase by, a, which is illegal, which, which is illegal, which is uh, uh, well, right. But the person who's actually buying the gun from the gun store is making is legal. A, a legitimate pur- purchase. Yeah. Right. It's what, but a straw do. purchase is illegal. Correct. That's, that's correct. If they're purchased, if, if you do it knowingly that you're going to sell it to somebody else, that's a straw purchase. That's basically what you're saying. Right. Butch is like correct. this, this person went in legally bought this gun with the intention of selling it. Correct. to somebody who was not legally able to buy that gun. Correct. But listen, but the interesting thing about the straw purchase, the, the individual who purchases the gun, if he turns around and sells that to somebody for 150 bucks, he's mm-hmm. not committing a crime. It's the person who then possesses the gun illegally. So like if you go to the state of Virginia, interesting. yeah, it's interesting, right? If you go to the state of Virginia and you purchase a handgun, if you're a resident, let's say you're a resident in the state of Virginia and you walk in and you buy a handgun, and you legitimately buy it, and you legally purchase that gun, you can walk out the door, and you can sell that gun to somebody else. And it's my understanding, unless this has changed again, it's a little dated, but uh, I can tell you when I worked with the, these guys back years ago, that, that in and of itself was not illegal. Um, they, now, they can do cases. So they would be, let's say, uh, if you've got a guy who's bought 75, I mean, there's been, there's been ex- cases where they found one gun store that was like the size of a, a broom closet that sold like 700 and some handguns in a year, in a year to, to like eight wow. different people. I mean, some of these things are just very extreme uh, and you know what they're doing and you know what they're doing has the intent of, you know, putting these guns out on the street, selling them on the street to drug dealers, to gang members, and also uh, trafficking them north to states that are more stringent. Uh, and that's not to say that people, every handgun that's on the street is coming from down south. I don't want to paint that picture yeah, because yeah. It's, not, it's not true. There are guns that are sold in, in burglaries. There are guns that are, are, are sold by or, you know, somebody 
his daughter is on drugs and take the, yeah. your father's handgun and sell it. And I mean, that happens. So, you know, I, I have to, <clears throat> I'm actually going to pay, uh, pay you a compliment here. I have to really say it takes uh, a special person to go through what you went through and to come out of it and still be able to, I mean, like a lot of people would not be able to, to kind of have the, the attitude you do in terms of like differentiating, right? You're differentiating between the, the guy who, who did this and that it was illegal and what he did was wrong. And then obviously differentiating between the, the citizen who's doing the right thing. And obviously a lot of that comes from just your years. I mean, you, you're, yeah, up, you're upbringing, right? You've been around, yeah. you, you, you know, there are a lot of good people that own guns. Listen, they, yeah, but it, I really do. I really do appreciate you having that sort of, uh, take from it, you know, yeah, cause exactly. a lot of people would go the other way and, you know, as a gun owner, as a citizen that owns guns, it really means a lot to me. So, so yeah. thank you for, for that. Yeah, no, listen, this, this young man and not to, not to, uh, you know, um, he, he lost his life as well. You know, um, you know, uh, he was mentally, he suffered from some severe mental issues, uh, drug addiction. And I don't, and, I don't think I'm saying anything out of turn either, Butch, but really over nothing, right? Yeah. I mean, it was over a broken cell phone. Uh, he <laughs> broke his girlfriend's cell phone. And, wow. uh, but we, what we, what we didn't, we didn't know at the initial time was that he was also doing court, um, in another jurisdiction. And I think mm-hmm. that, I think that, I think this young man's whole world just, just crashed. Collapsed. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's a shame. It's a shame all around, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the thing that probably bothered me the most about the whole thing was I found out that there was, um, other people, he had been texting, uh, other people, uh, and actually was telling them what he was going to do, uh, while, he was in his house and we were trying to get him to come to the door. Uh, wow. Other people did also know that he had a firearm, an illegal handgun. Uh, we were, we were never told that uh, an individual was asked specifically uh, and lied. Um, we also uh, know that he was texting other people in his family, telling them what he was going to do. They never bothered to call and tell us. And he was wow. actually also on, um, the computer game playing Call of Duty with four other individuals who actually heard the whole thing over the Call no of way wow I didn't wow know that. yeah yeah that came out later on uh, unbeknownst one person turned out to be a uh, U.S. Marine stationed uh, overseas and oh. of course he had no idea they had no idea they did not. did you ta- have you talked to any of those guys they were interviewed uh, they they were interviewed um, no yeah that they had no idea what was going on really, or they were just thinking he was just talking, you know, talking smack, you know, but uh, it's, uh, there were, there were individuals that had they, had they called us and told us what was waiting for us on the other side of the door, we would, we would have called. It would have been different. Well, we would have called for a tactical response. Absolutely. Uh, We felt we were dealing with an individual who would threaten to kill himself. And when we lost contact with him, we felt that uh, we were trying to prevent him from hurting himself. Yeah. So, man, so I, I'm going to, I got to lighten the mood a little bit. But back to your question, I, yeah, no, I, that was, that young man had no business having a handgun. It was illegal. Uh, he, I certainly do not place him in the, I, again, we go back to law abiding licensed gun ownership uh, versus yep. criminal criminal owner uh, criminal possession yeah and that's that's the difference right that's that's where we have to kind of differentiate the two so uh, yeah so uh, um 
So, Chief, on this show, we do a, a little game with our uh, our guests. It's called Run and Gun. And I'm going to ask you 10 questions. Don't worry. They're easy sure. ones. That's okay. And uh, you're going to give me the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite gun in your personal collection? I would say that it's the right now the Glock 45 9mm. What gun would you buy if money was no object? I always wanted to have a version of a Kimber. 1911 not sure everyone says the 1911 yeah it's it's a it's a it's it's the one man if you could if you could have a drink with one person living or dead who would it be i would probably say woody murphy okay favorite caliber nine millimeter hands down favorite hobby not gun related i like to cook like you if you could have one superpower what would it be one superpower Ah, I would say, oh, wouldn't we all like to fly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Keith, you do. <laughs> I do. It's a little bit. There I, you go. I, I said x-ray vision, Butch, and we all know why. There that. you go. That's it. <laughs> all hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? I would say that, okay, so I got a little story about that. You got to bear with me if you got a second. So one day I was talking to a guy who was a, a soldier, was overseas, uh, and was, was in combat. And the topic came up, and we kind of just blended into gun talk. And it was nothing really focused on his military career. And I said something about, well, you know, uh, I guess it had something to do with uh, ra- how many rounds you carry uh, as an officer versus, you know, today with your two extra magazines and I used to only carry 18 rounds and, you know, now we carry that in the gun. And I said something to this guy and he looked at me and he goes, chief, he goes, let me tell you something. They give you enough bullets. You can hit anything. <laughs> so, so armed, I would say, I would say armed. <laughs> All right. There it is. <laughs> is it better to be loved or feared? I, can I change that? I say it's better to be respected. I would I like rather, it. I would rather be, I would, be, I prefer being respected to it's being feared. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you're, it's all, it's always nice to be loved. That's a good answer. <laughs> Rifle, pistol, or shotgun. If I could only have one firearm in my house. Yep. Shotgun. Hands down. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Oh, hmm. I would have to say my friend, Bruce Campbell. There it is. You made it. All right. It's time for Top Gear. Let us test it before you invest it. All right. So now we are going to go into a little gear review. So I am going to let the chief go first. Chief, do you have something that you something that you have that you like or don't like? Something you want to talk about? Well, I can probably I, I can tell you that I, I I have always had I guess if you want to say an obsession. I, I would have to say anything well, regarding to, uh, work-related stuff. I, I have an obsession with holsters. I have probably got and had in my career easily 750. I will vouch for that. I have Every, seen the drawers. Uh, I still <laughs> A lot have, of gun owners do. I have a drawer full of them. Uh, I got to tell you, I have, I have had every gun I've ever owned, I've had to have at least three holsters for. So, Chief, do you do you have a holster that you that you happen to like? Is there one that in particular is like well, your favorite? Brand. The most the most common holster that I the first holster that I always buy whenever I buy a new handgun is the classic DeSantis 001 thumb brake holster. 
okay. pancake holster. Pancake holster, yeah. Yeah, I, I've carried one of those uh, since, oh my God, I can't even remember the last time. I, like my first off-duty chief special, 36th lesson, I carried one of those. And I, ever since then, uh, what's one thing about DeSantis, I'll say, is they're probably the quickest to come out. Butch, do you, do you, do you always carry? Are you always carrying? I can tell you, I don't, I don't leave my house without a gun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I've always felt that, uh, I had an incident one time, uh, I, I lived in Newburgh, uh, and I got up one day and I realized I needed a six pack of beer. I was out of beer and my buddy, my roommate had drank my last six pack of beer on me and I got in the car and I drove down to the corner store and the first walked in and there were three guys in the store and I knew the guy behind the counter and he just looked at me like he had total fear. And, uh, these guys were definitely case in the place. It was the first time that I had not put a gun on when I left my house. And I, and I never forget saying to myself, wouldn't that be some shit? Every time you leave the house, (laughs) you got a gun on. And the one time, right. And, and I said, I would never want to be in a situation where I could have done something off duty Okay. And I couldn't act or, or wasn't able to because I didn't have a gun. And I just kind of feel in these days, you know, it's an obligation for a police officer. Listen, you don't, you don't bring your gun out to a bar room. You don't, you know, you, you don't bring your gun out to, to that type of situation. And, but when you're out in public, I almost feel like you're, you're obligated to, 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 yeah. to carry a gun. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll talk about my gear for the for the this week's episode. And um, I recently, uh, Butchie, I don't know if I had actually told you, I recently bought an AR-15. I bought a Smith and Wesson M&P 15, mm-hmm. and uh, I bought a used uh, Aimpoint Comp uh, M2. Um, Aimpoint dot com is the name of the website. Obviously, you can go to. Mm-hmm. I bought a used because the new ones are just out of my price range, and I found one for two hundred fifty bucks uh, from a friend, and um, it's it's pretty cool um it's got a the battery on uh life on one battery is like ten thousand hours of daytime use which is forever wow um you can you can leave that on 24 24 hours a day i do i i yeah i just leave it on i you know it's in my gun safe you know and um it's uh just left on in case you ever you know how to get in there um it's submersible up to 80 feet. Hopefully, I never get to test that. I, I not ever see a reason <laughs> yeah. to try to figure that out. Maybe sealed sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, there's no mag- magnification on it, but it's easy and clear to see a red dot. And I had that thing the first you know, moment I got it. I, I went out to our gun club, Mike, and, uh, and sighted in. And uh, oh, you were with me. That's right. And um, uh, I was hitting 100 yards, you know with a, in my opinion, half-ass sight, you know, sighting it. I, I, I didn't, I didn't get it as aggressively as I, as I would have liked, but I was able to, after, you know, 13, 15 shots, I was able to, after sighting it in, I was able to hit a hundred yards, you know, with that thing, um, and hit an eight inch gong. And, uh, I was feeling really good. The, the red dot is, uh, the intensity is adjustable. Um, the recommendation is to try to keep it as, as, as low as possible and, and use it, use it with that. Um, but I found it easy to sight in, um, and uh, it's been a great addition to the gun. I'm I'm happy that I have it. Yeah, they're a great company, and and uh, I, I was there with you. I have an astigmatism, and I have a a fairly cheap red dot. And man, it, there is definitely something to be said for quality because yours was a lot crisper, even with that astigmatism. So it 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 was a nice optic. I, I was happy that you were able to pick that up 
for the price you got it for. Yeah, me too. So my uh, review today is actually a real cheap one. Anybody can afford this or most people can afford this. Um, and it's a product called Talon Grips. So I'm a little bit of a, a tinkerer, you too, Keith. And, and I like, I would, man, if I could modify all my guns and, you know, I'm, Butch, I'm kind of like one of those guys that has all the gear and likes to kind of like play a little bit. So anyway, I would love he, to. He doesn't like, walk out of the house with 5'11 pants on. That is true. <laughs> um, thanks for clarifying, Keith. But if I could stipple my hand grips, I've always wanted to, to get a, a gun and, and have it stippled, but it's A, it's expensive. B, it lowers the value of the gun. And C, I don't know if I would actually like it or not. So I stumbled onto this company called Talon Grips, and it's basically a self-install adhesive grip. And you put it on with either a heat gun or a hairdryer. Um, they're available in two textures. They have a, what they call rubber moss. It's kind of like a pebbled rubber. It's got like a little like pebbling to it. Or they have like a granulate, which is more like a sandpaper. And they don't really recommend that for concealed carry because it kind of rubs up on your skin and it catches on your clothes. But I have the rubber moss. I have it on every one of my handguns. Um, they make them for rifle handles as well. And they claim that the rifle grips will last one to three years and that the pistol's much, much longer. And I can say mine have never come off. They've never even, they look like they're part of the grip when you're done. Um, they also sell like a DIY sheet. You can, I have done some like custom, like along the, like the index points for your, your finger. These things cost $20. So for $20, you get this like rubberized grip that looks like it's part of the gun. And I, I should clarify, my pistols are all black and the grips are black. So if you have a black firearm, it literally looks like it's part of the gun. Um, and I, I put a link uh, down on the uh, show notes if anybody wants to go and find them. But they're awesome. I, I have them on all my guns. And for 20 bucks, you absolutely cannot go wrong. It's, it's a great product. I really like it a lot. I can tell you uh, that one of my officers uh, actually, he happens to be a firearms instructor. He actually has them on his uh, his Glock. For, uh, we recently went back to the Glock nine millimeters from the forty fives that we were carrying, and uh, he has them on his uh, on his his pistol, his duty pistol. Do you like them? I, I was pretty amazed at them. Actually, um, I've always kind of been a little bit. When we carried revolvers, it was very common for the officers. I mean, I did it myself to you know change the grips on the uh, our duty re- revolvers, um, but. Uh, I've always been kind of afraid to to do something with aftermarket with a, some of these handguns. Uh, but if I was to go with anything, I can tell you that I would probably go for those. Uh, yeah, well, it's nice because they're not per- it's not permanent, you right. know, which is nice. And you know, they say grip the grip of the gun, the purchase is very important, you know. So it's kind of nice if you're if you're sweating or you know whatever. It, it it really does help quite a bit, you know. And like I said, it's not permanent, and if you don't like it, just take it off. So. For twenty bucks, yeah. anybody looking to get a little bit of grip on their firearm, it, it is it's a great product. Years ago, when we first went to semi pistols, uh, guys were taking bicycle uh, inner tubes. That was a common practice, and they would cut the bicycle inner tube, and that was where the whole slip on grips came from. Yeah, like the whole, it's almost like the whole grips of now. Like that's where it came from. That's kind of cool. Very cool. Well, I think it's time for the boys to sit around and shoot the shit. All right. So we are going to shoot the shit, and it is totally unrelated to firearms. And today's topic is on travel. So I'll just ask the question real quick. If you could pick one destination to travel to, where would it be? It could be a day trip, weekend getaway, or an extended vacation. So, Butch, I'll let you go first. 
I would say that um, uh, Berlin. Berlin, cool. Yeah, I, very uh, cool. Yeah. I'm actually trying to go to Oktoberfest uh, in the near future, so that's kind of with some family. Yeah. That's kind of cool. There you go. Yeah, awesome. What about you, Keith? My favorite place to go is Washington D.C. Man, I love the museums down there. I uh, you kind of alluded to a little bit. I'm I'm a big aviation buff, and um, the Udvar Hazy um, uh, Museum, the Smithsonian Museum at uh, Dulles Airport, just outside of uh, of Washington D.C., is absolutely amazing. And uh, I, I could go there over and over again, spend an entire day right there, not go anywhere else, but in that museum. Cool. Okay. Uh, mine, if I could go one place, I would say to go to Italy. Um, we went to Italy. We went to uh, a few years back and we stayed in a a villa that overlooked the city. And uh, I actually want to go back to that villa. It was unbelievable. It had a pool that you swam in and you overlooked all the lights at night of the city below. And it was, it was beautiful. It had lemon trees. We made a uh, fresh lemonade from the lemon trees and they had a pizza oven out back and it, it was it was awesome it was absolutely awesome. i thought you were going to say limoncello <laughs> no, i don't know how to make that, that i should learn little, that takes a little bit longer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i wasn't there that long Keith. so but yes yeah, so i would say uh italy and in particular that that villa would be where i'd go very cool all right well i want to Thank you, Chief, for coming yeah, on. It was a pleasure and your wealth of knowledge and information. And just thank you for, for gracing the show. I, I really appreciate it. Really, I really appreciate it, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. If you like this episode, you can support the show by hitting the subscribe and share buttons. And of course, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Gun Experiment so we can keep the conversation going. Chief, Keith, thank you very much. I appreciate it. 